0: Last week, as we continued with our study of the life of Jesus, as John presents it to us in his gospel, we found Jesus once again in the city of Jerusalem, once again in the temple courts, and once again disputing with his adversaries, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the Pharisees, to whom, by the way, as you read through these disputations, if you will, he makes some incredible statements. And last week, he made one of the most amazing statements about himself that he makes. He came to them, he came to us. Last week, and he said, Listen, I want to tell you something about me. I am, and then here's a very important word the. I am the light of the world. He doesn't say I'm one of the lights of the world. Look, if he had said I'm one of the lights of the world, you know, one of, I don't know, five or ten, that would have been a significant statement. That would have been worth talking about. That would have been worth writing down and studying. He didn't say that. If he had come and said, Look, I am a light of the world again, wow, that's pretty big because the world, I think we can all agree, is not exactly full of light. He made a statement far bigger than either of those. He came and he said, look, I'm going to tell you something about me and about light. I am the light. There's one light. That would be me. And again, we talked about last week the fact that you hear that and you just kind of intuitively understand, well, that's an incredibly cool statement. I mean, that is an awesome statement that Jesus just made. But here's what you don't intuitively understand. You don't intuitively understand everything that it means, do you? like, it's cool, but I don't know what it means. For that, you've got to go to the Bible. Jesus speaks and lives biblically. That's where we get these categories. That's how we understand and unpack statements like that. So that's what we did last week, and we saw lots about light. I just want to hit a few. Jesus tells us He is light. His Father is light. Those who follow Him bear His light. It may be a little bit of light, but it's light. There's light there if you're a follower of Christ, if you belong to the Father through faith in Jesus. And the idea is that as you grow in your relationship with Him, you increase in light. So then what is light? We saw that light, for example, is pure. You could do like a whole sermon series right there. It's pure. Light is true. Wow. What else? What else? Light is wise, and it stands in contradiction to the wisdom, and we'll put that in quotes of this world. Light is understanding. There is a discernment. There is a depth of knowledge. Light brings joy. Light brings life. In fact, it's the prerequisite of life. Light brings order. Light brings fullness. Light rules over darkness. Darkness does not rule over light. You know, there's some personal applications that we can make. Light, and this is really important, is the creative gift of God. You know, you can't really talk about light biblically without thinking about the creation story. Why? Because the first utterance of the Lord in the creation story, the first utterance of the Lord in all of the Bible is, let there be light, and there is light. But not just in the creation story. If you're a believer in Christ, there is light in your story as well. Ryan read the verse already for us this morning in worship. See, the New Testament comes to us and says, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Do you hear that language? The old is gone and the new has come. Well, how did that happen? As God sovereignly came to you and by His Spirit and through the proclamation of His gospel word to you, maybe through your parent, maybe through a teacher, maybe in a sermon, something like this, maybe, you know, with a friend, somebody at work, somebody at school, maybe as you read His His word searching for Him and seeking for Him, maybe as you listened to some song somewhere along the way, God by His Spirit and through the proclamation of His word shone the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ into your heart. And as we talked about, we even say it that way sometimes. We express it in that it was like, you know, hey, man, I was just sitting here taking in the gospel for like the 938th time. But this time, it's like the light went on. And I want to say, yes, it did. That's exactly what happened. It's not like it happened. No, it did happen. That's the way it works. So light is the creative gift of God. But what else did we learn? Because this is the part that I really want to drill down on today. Light brings sight. And that's true. Physically, we experience that all the time. You walk into a dark room, you turn on the light. Now you are safe to walk around, aren't you? But if you leave the light off and it's my son's room, you're going to step on Legos. I'm just going to tell you. And it's going to hurt. Not safe. Because you can't see apart from light. That's true physically, and it's true spiritually as well. Light is the creative gift of God in the heart of every believer, and what it allows us to see, guys, is not Legos. What it allows us to see is Jesus. It gives us a sight of Christ that is new, that is different, that is clear, and in which we recognize that Jesus Christ is not just some man, or He's not just some prophet, or He's not even just a prophet sent from God. I mean, that would be pretty big, but no, no, no. It's way bigger than that. Jesus Christ is God Himself. He is God-made man, Son of God and Son of Man, His favorite designation for Himself. Come into the world to bring spiritual light. To all who believe, to save us from our sins. And Jesus Christ, by the way, also is alone worthy of the worship of your life. He is life's greatest treasure, and He's the Redeemer of life's greatest sorrows. And we see all of that in the story that we're going to look at again this morning as we return to our study in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, where John says this. He says, as Jesus, the light of the world. Keep that in mind, because that's what he's just proclaimed himself to be in the previous chapter. As the light of the world passed by, he saw a man blind for how long? From birth. And so from birth, this guy has lived in what? Darkness. And obviously, that's true physically. To be blind is to be in darkness. But what we're going to see is that there's a whole different plane in which this story speaks. He's in spiritual darkness at this point, too. And that is even more significant. Joan says that as Jesus, the light of the world, passed by, he saw a man who was blind physically and spiritually from birth, and he passed him by, no doubt, as this guy was sitting on the side of the road begging for money, because that's all he could have done in those days. Back in those days, they didn't have any of the modern-day devices that we can use today to unleash and to unlock the very real productive and creative energies of the disabled, of the blind in this case. And so no matter how gifted or talented you were, generally speaking, you were a beggar. And there's suffering in that. There's suffering in that for this man. There's suffering in that for this man's parents. There's suffering in that for this man's family. There's suffering in that for this man's friends. There's suffering in that for the whole village. You watch this man grow up. Don't pass that by. That's very much a part of this story. As Jesus, the light of the world, passed by, he saw a man, blind, physically and spiritually, as it will be shown, from birth, begging on the side of the road for money. And then we read that his disciples asked him, and you have to wonder if they asked right in front of this guy. I tend to think that they did. They asked Jesus... This very interesting, very important, albeit incredibly insensitive question, they said, Rabbi, who, and what's the next word? It's sinned. Who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, how do you feel if you're that guy? Not so hot, probably. But as God would ordain it, he needs to hear the message. Who sinned? His parents or this man? That he was born blind. Now, I got to believe that is a question that every parent of an ill or disabled child asks at some point in desperation. Lord, <laughs> what did my son do, my daughter do? What did I do to deserve this? Because I can't connect the dots. And I want you to hear the answer. Rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. That's not a little thing. That's a big deal. And listen to the answer to Jesus. Jesus answered, He said, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned. And so, whereas it's true that the Bible teaches that all suffering is ultimately the result of sin, it is not true that the Bible teaches that all suffering is the result of some particular sin. And when it is the result of some particular sin, you know, you don't usually have to hire Sherlock Holmes to figure it out. You know, as I've said before, look, if you drink yourself to death, then you drink yourself to death. And there will be suffering in that demise and in that death, and not just for you, but for everyone connected to you. But it's not a mystery. It's not hard to connect the dots. There may be a lot of other factors, but there's also a pretty clear line between the drinking and the death. If pornography tears apart your marriage and your marriage ends in divorce... Then pornography has torn apart your marriage, and your marriage has ended in divorce. And again, I don't want to oversimplify it. There may be a lot of other things going on, but the dots? Not difficult to connect. But they are difficult to connect for this guy. The disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, or that his parents sinned. You can't connect the dots in this case. So then, Jesus, what is it? What is the answer, if you will, for this man's undeserved suffering? What's the answer for your undeserved suffering? What's the answer for my undeserved suffering? Jesus says that it is so that the works of God might be displayed. That's a word of sight, isn't it? Something that's displayed is something that you see. So that the works of God might be displayed where? In Him, in me, in you. Translation, God at times causes us to suffer. He introduces suffering into our lives so that through this suffering, He will have an occasion to display the glory of Jesus Christ as Christ goes to work in our suffering. See, that occasion doesn't exist apart from the suffering. And sometimes we need to not look for the cause of the suffering. What we need to be focusing on is the purpose for which God has given it to us. It is to display the works of God in us. It's a word of sight. And sometimes he displays the work of God in us by healing us miraculously, like he's going to do with this guy in a second. And sometimes he displays the work of God in us by sustaining us through years and years and years sometimes of severe suffering. This man is blind from birth. He's a beggar, in a sense, from birth. It's not a little bit of time. And I I want to ask you, which do you think is the greater miracle? Because we tend to oo and aah over the now the blind man sees. I think sometimes the greater miracle is the sustaining grace of God. I think sometimes the greater miracle is to sing in the midst of sorrow. It is joy in the midst of adversity, it is hope in the midst of despair, it is worship and service and faithfulness to a God when everything in your world looks like God has been unfaithful to you. And yet you cling to him nevertheless, because your eyes of faith supersede the eyes of your head. And they say to your heart that he is nonetheless worthy of your worship. God wants to display his glory and the person of, and work of Jesus Christ, which are, and it's important, the works of, of God, that's a very important phrase, in a way that will increase the sight of this blind man, not just physically, but spiritually as well. God is more concerned about you having a vision of Jesus Christ than comfort, than health, than sight physically, There's another kind of sight, and it is by far more significant. It's by far more valuable. He's not only and eventually here in a few minutes going to be able to see the Legos in the room, at least if he turns the light on. He's going to be able to see Jesus and for who he really is. And you watch this occur as the story unfolds. John says that as Jesus, the light of the world, passed by, he saw a man who was blind physically and spiritually, and that's the greater blindness, by the way, from birth, standing on the side of the road begging, who together with his family and friends has suffered immensely, and not for a little bit of time, but for years and years and years, and his disciples ask him, apparently right in front of the guy, which sometimes people do. They make stupid comments. But it's providential for this man... They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him in such a way as to give him and everyone who becomes familiar with his testimony sight. The kind of sight that is greater than just physical. And so then we read this in verse 6. It says, having said these things... Now, watch what Jesus does and watch how Jesus does it because how is important. He's going to perform the works of God. John says that Jesus spat on the ground, so he's spitting into the dirt. He spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva, so now he's playing with saliva mud. It's just nasty. That's what your kids did when they were like three. The Lord is doing this, isn't he? Why in the world is he doing this? I mean, we've already seen in our study of this gospel, Jesus doesn't have to be even in the same town as someone to heal them. So what's all this business about mud and spit and playing with the mud? He he makes mud with the saliva. Then he like kneads it into these little mud cakes, if you will, with which he anoints. The man's eyes, he's putting spit mud on this guy's face. Who's just going with it. And look what he says. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And now John gives us a little detail. Why does he give us a detail? Because the story is all in the details. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so this blind man, who has suffered much for years and years and years and years, and his parents much for years and years and years and years, and his family much for years and years and years, you get the point? So that the works of God might be displayed in him goes and he washes. And it says, and he came back seeing. All right, so how did God create the first pair of eyes? The same way he created the first pair of hands. The same way he created the first pair of feet, the first two arms, the first two ears, the first nose, the first mouth, the first face, the first legs, the first absolutely everything else. And the Lord God created the man out of the dust of the earth. He created him out of the dirt. Well, this guy doesn't need hands, does he? Feet seem to be working fine from what I can tell, arms, legs. He's missing one thing. He's the man born blind. How does Jesus give him new eyes? How does he create them in some sense? Out of the dust of the ground, doesn't he? Now, what is he doing? A great miracle? Well, yeah, sure. No, he's doing also, not just a great miracle, the works of God. He's sending a pretty clear message to those with eyes to see it. And then he does it with spit. Interesting. To spit, particularly into someone's face in any culture at any time has always been an incredible insult, hasn't it? So then how is that the work of God? Well, consider Jesus. Consider the one who came into this world to take upon himself your sin and then to suffer, though he was completely innocent, fully for your sin. And watch his face as he travels through his suffering. When you do, you're going to see a lot of spit. What does God do with that insult? What does God do with that suffering? He transforms it into blessing For me and for you and for all who come to Christ in faith. What does Jesus do with the spit here? He takes the emblem of insult and he makes it a blessing to this man. The man receives sight. And then Jesus, who has already been telling us all through this book, but particularly in the previous chapter, he said to the Pharisees, Hey, guys, I'm the one sent from God. I'm the guy God sent. I've been sent from my Father. If you knew me, you would love me because my Father sent me. Sent, 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 sent does the work of God again. He sends this man to go to the pool of Siloam, which itself means sent to be what? To be washed of his filth and to receive sight. Is that not the gospel? Is that not what Christ came to do for us? Is that not the work of God through Jesus Christ? So in healing this man, Jesus is performing the works of God. The details matter. He knows what he's doing. It's remarkable. And then what happens is people start, I think pretty understandably, freaking out. Like the neighbors of this guy in whose village he grew up, who were there at his birth, who received the word when he was born, that he was born blind, who together with probably almost most every other person in the area wondered, oh man, what sin did his parents commit? Or what sin did this child in utero commit to deserve this? Because that was sort of the prevailing view and opinion of the day. I mean, the disciples aren't coming up with that on their own. They're speaking of it as if that's obviously the case. And Jesus is saying, not so obvious. Not the case at all. They watched this kid grow struggle. They cried with these parents. They gave him money on the side of the road. Maybe they even budgeted to do it because, you know, it was him. And they'd seen him beg year after year after year. These people freak out when all of a sudden this guy, who they know to have been born blind, can now see. In fact, they so freak out, this miracle is so unbelievable to them, like they don't have a category for it because no one's ever done anything like this before. Not a man born blind cured. That they start arguing over whether or not this could even possibly be him. And he's insisting to them, no, 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 it's me, guys, it's me. Remember on my third birthday, we did this. And then I remember three years ago, Bill, in your home, you had this happen. And, you know, he has to convince them in some sense that, in fact, it's him because this is so stunning. And once he's convinced them, they say to him, what happened? And the language matters. He's beginning to see, but he's not seeing clearly yet spiritually. He says, the man called Jesus did this for me. Oh, but he's more than a man, isn't he? So then the neighbors take this guy, and they take him down to their local synagogue. Not an unreasonable thing to do. Clearly, God has done, or at least they think clearly God has done, an amazing, unheard of kind of miracle. Who but God could do such a thing, which really throws the Pharisees who are down at the synagogue into quite the quandary, And now they freak out. And they freak out, not merely because this kind of a miracle has occurred, but primarily because this kind of a miracle occurred on the Sabbath. And they, not God, they had created laws against healing, if you can believe it, on the Sabbath, against giving people rest from their suffering. No, no, we can't do that on this day. You know, the day of rest. Jesus is constantly provoking them over their Sabbath rules that are not God's rules. But they look at this and they think, well, this guy, Jesus, and here's the reasoning. Half of them argue, no way this man could be from God. And so either this miracle didn't actually occur, and we got to do a little investigating, which they do, or we need to attribute it to something or someone other than the Lord, because no way this miracle could have occurred. Jesus is a sinner, we'll put it in quotes, because he doesn't keep our Sabbath rules. But the other half of them are going, hey, um, you know, <sighs> I mean, who but God could do this? So having already questioned the guy as they're arguing out amongst themselves, they finally throw their hands up in the air as if to say, oh, I don't know what to do. And they say to him, who do you think this man Jesus is? And he says, and watch the language, he's a prophet. So his vision's getting better, but it's still not there. So they call in the guy's parents, put him on the witness stand. With the man standing there, they say, is this man your son? Yes. Was this man born blind? Yes. Any clue as to how it is he all of a sudden now can see? And sensing, perhaps, the division in the room, and being very sensitive to the fact that these guys could kick them out of their synagogue, they panic. And they say, look, you know, our son is of age. Now, what does that tell you? Years and years and years he's been blind. He's of age. You know what? He was there. Why don't you ask him? So they ask him, but they've already asked him. And that's something this man is not blind to either. His vision of Jesus is getting clearer, and his vision of these guys is getting clearer too. And I'll tell you something, his tongue is something to behold. Verse 24, we read, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God, which in this case means stop lying about Jesus and tell us the truth. Stop lying, they say. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And so now it seems that they have gained a consensus. They've argued each other kind of into a consensus which says, yeah, okay, look, if he did this on the Sabbath, he's got to be a sinner, even though he didn't break any of God's laws, he did break our laws, and so we've got to go with it from that perspective. But they still have to deal with this miracle. I mean, something undeniable has happened. It's kind of like the empty tomb. You know, you have to do something with that. They have to do something with this. Give glory to God. Stop lying, they say. We know this man is a sinner, and he answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, and he won't back down from this, and I love it. He says that though I was blind, now I see. And they say to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you all that. And you would not listen to them. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you? Do you? also want to become his disciples? See, so he sees right through them at this point. It's fascinating. Now they're the ones on trial. And look what they do. It says, so they reviled him. Now, I hadn't really thought about this until this morning. But there's a sense in which that should be our testimony too at different points in our lives. I mean, our testimony is, I was once blind and now I see. And as we take that testimony out into a world that does not buy Christ, overtly, but can't argue with a testimony, there will be a reviling. This man is himself beginning to experience and even to share in the sufferings of the Savior of whose vision he's getting clearer on. And that should be true of us as well. And he very courageously, knowing there might be consequences, and there are, as you'll see, faces it. He answers them, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, and I'm not going to deny this. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to be quiet about it. You asked, I'm going to tell you that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do for you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And so they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. See, what is a badge of dishonor in their eyes is to those with sight, a badge of honor. Thinking they're putting him down, they're... They're paying him a compliment. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, even though Jesus has broken none of the laws of Moses and has already told them previously. Guys, if you understood the writings of Moses rightly, you would understand me. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from, even though Jesus has told them repeatedly where he comes from, repeatedly even in the previous chapter. And all of this teaching is connected. And so the man answers, and I love this. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And now listen to his testimony, because this is something you can connect the dots on. And he connects the dots for them. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And as a man born blind, I've researched that out very carefully. You know, I mean, that's been a question I'd like to know the answer to. And so if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So now what is he saying about Jesus? Because it's getting better. It's becoming clearer. It's more and more accurate. Well, now it seems he's at the very least a prophet sent from God, but he's not quite there yet. And so they answered him with insults. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? Ironically, yes. And they cast him out. They excommunicated him from his synagogue. They did to him the thing his parents were afraid that they would do to them. And then we read this, and it's my favorite part. Verse 35, it says, and Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And what does Jesus do? He goes looking for him. He goes after him. He searches him out. He leaves the 99 to find the one, if you will. And having found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? You know, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, God made man. The one who is worthy of the worship of the whole of your life, for he alone is life's greatest treasure. He is more valuable than physical sight or physical health or anything else. Part of the message of this story. It's a question of value. And the man answered, who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have what? You have seen him. And not just with the eyes of your head, but now also with the eyes of your heart. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you and shining the light of his glorious gospel into your heart. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him, which, by the way, is truly the end result of seeing Christ for who he really is. And Jesus then says this. He says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who, like the Pharisees, think they see may become blind. Light is the creative gift of God, guys. You can't separate it from the idea of creation. Let there be light. It's the creative gift of God in the creation story. It's the creative gift of God in my creation story. And if yours, if you're a believer in Christ, and that God comes and by His Spirit shines the light of His gospel into all that otherwise was dark and dead and in chaos and in an emptiness in you. And what does that light do? gives you sight. It allows you to see not Legos, but Christ. Not for who the world says that he is, but for who he really is. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a prophet sent from God. I mean, that would be big, but it's far grander than that. He is God-made man, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Savior of the world who alone is worthy of the worship of all of your life, for He is life's greatest treasure, and He is the Redeemer of all of your suffering, even when it's deserved. And you can connect the dots, but certainly also when it's not and you can't. And I say that because He brings good out of it. He takes our suffering, which He ordains for us and gives to us, and He uses it to do things in and through us that absent that vehicle of suffering, He would not be able to do. And in the doing of it, be that by a miraculous healing or by a miraculous sustaining, He reveals to us that His grace is sufficient for us, even in our weakness. And we see Him, in greater and greater and ever-increasing clarity and beauty as a result of it. And you know what else? So do other people as they see Jesus at work in you. He's redeeming the whole of it. And he's saying, gather it all up. Feel the full weight of it. Throw it on one side of a scale and understand that a day is coming when you will fully see the glory that has come as a result of your suffering And you'll see just how much it has been outweighed by all of the good that God has brought through it. That's Jesus. That's the light of the world. That's the one who the Spirit enables you to look at and behold, run to for forgiveness, and hold on to for life.